How's it going? It's going good? Yeah. Everyone's doing good. It's summer. It's hot out. Uh, <clears throat> I was informed that I have to get this dead center or it'll drive people nuts. So <laughs> let me just align this perfectly. How's that? Is that good? We're good? Okay. All right. <laughs> How I was kind of wishing I was down front with the kids so that, so that when asked, what do you know about Moses, I could say he's got a killer beard. Because that's what I heard. I wasn't there. So um, for those of you who are guests, I'm not regular. I'm a guest. Uh, Pastor Jake is off, and so I'm filling in. Last week, uh, I talked about the Exodus proper, I guess you would say, some, some interesting uh, tidbits about uh, Exodus in terms of the Hebrew slaves leaving Egypt. And this week, we're rolling into some stuff about the Passover and, uh, and the two more weeks. I've got two more weeks after this one and more stuff from Exodus. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, about... 10 or 12 years ago, maybe a little more, I lose track of time, I decided to embark on a little bit of an experiment. I thought it was really strange that when I would read in the New Testament, you'd, you'd read about the disciples, and it seemed like they never had the slightest clue what Jesus was up to. You know, and Jesus would be doing this stuff, and then you'd get these comments about, yeah, the disciples were clueless. They couldn't figure out what Jesus was doing, that he was the son of God, that he was foretelling this or talking about that. And I was like, man, these guys are idiots. What is the deal? And then also I'd read about the Pharisees or the Sadducees or these different religious leaders of the time, and they were always just straight ticked at Jesus. And I'm like, wait, Jesus is like my savior. He's awesome. Why are you upset? I don't get it. And so I decided to embark on an experiment. I said, I'm going to take one year and I'm going to try and do nothing but spend time in the Old Testament. I'm, I am going to not uh, intentionally be in the New Testament at all. Uh, of course, you know, you're going to hear about it in church or uh, I was in seminary at the time, so I'd have classes that were New Testament. But aside from classes and what was going on at church, I was only going to devote myself to the Old Testament because I wanted to see what would it be like for a disciple to not have the advantage of hindsight, to not have the advantage of the New Testament, to not have the advantage of Jesus having already died and risen again. To, what, what was it like for them? Why were they so confused? Why were they so bewildered? Why were the Pharisees so upset? I wanted an inside view on that. I wanted to be able to read the Gospels from the perspective of what would it have been like to be, to be there when Jesus is walking around doing his stuff. And so ironically, that one year turned into about three years because I sort of naively thought that in one year of, of a lot of reading and study that I would kind of be able to get the Old Testament down and that was just ridiculous. So, so I'm just pouring myself into it, and I'm getting into it more and more. And the thing that was so amazing is, because the Old Testament is supposed to be like boring, irrelevant, doesn't apply to us kind of stuff, right? And what I saw was this picture of God and who he is and what he cares about. And, and I was just being blown away, and my faith was growing and expanding. And then 
I had the opportunity to teach a class, uh, a college class, on the life of Christ. And so what I did was teach through uh, the book of Mark for a college class, a year-long college class, two semesters, through the book of Mark. And I'm seeing all of this stuff from this time of investment in the Old Testament, and I'm just going like, oh, <laughs> he did that? Oh, you know, and it was familiar stories, actually, from growing up, familiar New Testament stories that all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I see what he's doing. That's insane. And so uh, I decided that I had to write some of this stuff down. And the idea was uh, if, if somebody were to read this stuff and, and have their faith inspired by even, even 1% of what my faith was inspired by diving into these things, then it's worth the time and the effort and the cost to write this stuff down and, and have it printed up. And so that's where this book, Jesus Prequel, came from. And uh, in this book, one of the chapters talks about the Passover, which is in Exodus, which is what we're going to talk about today. All right, so uh, pull out your phone, uh, Exodus 12. We're going to read a little bit from Exodus 12. And uh, uh, this is right before the Hebrew slaves are actually going to be able to escape from Egypt. So we've been through nine plagues, and the 10th plague is going to be on the firstborn of Egypt. But what God does is he sets up this thing called Passover for his people to celebrate. And that's Exodus 12. So here we go. Uh, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. So this, uh, on our calendar, generally falls about uh, the month of March. They're, uh, they're on the lunar calendar. So uh, it varies from year to year on our calendar exactly what day it is. But generally speaking, March, April time frame is where this is going to fall. And uh, so God is sort of instituting a, a new year for them. This, for you, is going to become your New Year's. All right, so verse 4. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So you're going to have a big lamb feast. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. This is where the story gets weird. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Uh, why bitter herbs? Why bread made without yeast? Well, later tradition on the bitter herbs would have that the bitter herbs were a reminder of the bitterness of life in slavery. And the bread without yeast was simply, y'all are about to hit the road. You don't have time to let your bread rise. So, hence the bread without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it 
over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Don't leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So this is not a, hey, let's chillax, let's get the friends over, have a nice meal in our cozy chairs, take our time, sit around and be social. This is eat ready to hit the road, okay? So verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And last week we talked about the the bringing judgment on the gods of Egypt and how Pharaoh considered himself to be the chief deity of Egypt and how God was bringing judgment on them. And part of what's going on here in terms of this plague on the firstborn, it, it harkens back to the beginning of the chapter when we're told that Pharaoh ordered that males born to Hebrew slaves be killed in the Nile. And uh, so, unfortunately, the first nine plagues don't work, and it gets to the point where God has to speak in a language that Pharaoh will understand, and it brings destruction on Pharaoh's nation. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So, this is a day, verse 14, that you are to commemorate For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So what you've got here is God is setting up this initial Passover where they're going to have a feast. They're going to be dressed ready to hit the road. They're not going to put yeast in their bread so that they can leave quickly, not have to wait for their bread to rise. They're going to do all this stuff, including uh, putting blood on the door frames of their houses And the thing is that, yes, you're supposed to do this this one time because I'm about to get you out of Egypt, but this is a celebration, a Passover ceremonial celebration holiday, if you will, that y'all are supposed to celebrate year after year after year moving forward. That's what he's telling them when you have to uh, commemorate it for generations to come. This is a lasting holiday or celebration or festival, whatever you want to call it, that God is putting into place. So, for seven days, you're to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. It's an identification thing. I'm giving you this Uh, this ordinance, this command about how to do this festival because part of what it's doing is identifying you as part of my people. It's it's an identification thing. Uh, So verse 16, on the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Don't work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. So the Festival of Unleavened Bread becomes a seven-day mandatory no-work holiday that is to be celebrated in honor of the Lord delivering us from Egypt. Every year you're supposed to celebrate this. So, verse 17. Celebrate the Festival of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. 
Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you're to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. In other words, God's saying, take this seriously. This isn't an optional thing. I want you to do this. Eat nothing made without yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. So then uh, Moses gets everyone together. And the the chapter, you know, as you just read through it, it, it can get a little bit confusing because you have two things going at the same time. You have what God is doing through Moses and Aaron in history at that time when the Exodus is going to happen. And so you have stuff about, hey, Moses, tell the people. And Moses tells the people and they do this stuff. But intermixed in there, you have statements about, hey, this is a lasting holiday that I want you to celebrate year after year. And so do it year after year. And so when we hit verses 17 through 20, we're kind of talking about this lasting holiday regulations. And then now in verse 21, we're back to the story, back to uh, what's going on with Moses in Egypt. So Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he'll see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorframe, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Now, it seems a little bit weird to us. Take some blood, put it on the doorframe, and then when the destroyer goes through, oh, you know, that's, that's how he'll figure out not to go into your house. Look, God is smart enough he doesn't need the, the Hebrew slaves, the Israelites, to do this blood thing. This isn't about God not being able to figure out where to go and not to go. This is about God working in the hearts of people. Because the reality is that unless we somehow participate in what God is doing in a tangible way, we're kind of unlikely to get the fact that God was doing something. It's easy for us to miss it. And so what God is doing is he's having them participate in a tangible way so that when when it all breaks loose and things get crazy, they can look and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what's going on. So uh, back to the story. Uh, Let's pick it up at verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, now now we're back Now we're back to how it's going to be down the road. When you enter the land that Yahweh will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, hey, what's this ceremony all about? Then you're supposed to tell them it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, to Yahweh, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. This is an important line. And it becomes part of the Passover meal, the Passover festival that would be celebrated every year. At some point in the dinner, uh, a child is supposed to ask, what's this all about? And the, presumably the father or the head of the household, whoever it is, is supposed to say, ah, yes, 
This is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. All right, so the people bowed down and worshiped, and the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And so then the story rolls into the actual event. And uh, this is where, in chapter 12, this is where the, the exodus proper, the, the actual leaving of Egypt occurs. So uh, that is narrated in the following verses up until, let's pick it up again at verse 43, where we start talking about the Passover again. There's some repetition here. God wants them to get it. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Okay. In other words, this is, this is an in-house celebration. This is for God's people, God's nation, uh, to do. Any slave you have brought may eat of it after you have circumcised him. In other words, that's like the sign of being part of the community. But a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat of it. It must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Here's an important line. Do not break any of the bones. Uh, this regulation of not breaking the bones of the Passover lamb is why the gospel writers make such a big deal out of Jesus's bones not being broken when he was crucified. The single biggest analogy given in the early church for Jesus's sacrifice is the Passover. This is how they mostly explained. And, I mean, in other words, there's a lot of analogies we can use for what Jesus did. You know, he was our ransoming sacrifice. He ransomed us from death, yes. He was uh, our atonement that paid the price of our sins so that a holy God could be satisfied that the price was paid, yes. He was our Passover lamb, yes. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see another one that has to do with the tabernacle. Yes, these are all ways of explaining what Jesus did in his sacrifice. And in the early church, the, the analogy that was most used was the Passover analogy to explain what Jesus did. So don't break any of the bones of the lamb. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate Yahweh's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Again, why? It's not that there's something special about that other than the fact that other than the fact that uh, this was the sign that the Lord had given uh, of, of how you identify yourself as being part of the nation. I remember um, I, <laughs> I was going to be guest preaching uh, at another church, and so a couple weeks before I was going to be guest preaching, I took my son, who was like eight or nine at the time, uh, just to just to visit the church, just kind of see how the service runs, you know, get a feel for it before I had to preach there in a couple of weeks. And it just so turns out that the pastor uh, read a passage from Exodus where circumcised was mentioned, circumcision was mentioned, and it was great fun to sit in church and have your eight-year-old lean over and go, what is circumcision? Loud enough for everyone around you to hear. It was, that was fun. Um, so, uh, <laughs> all right. So the same law applies both to the native-born and the foreigner residing among you. Okay, so what happens with the Passover is 
uh, it really becomes a symbol of national identity. I mean, in other words, if you're taking part in the Passover, you are signaling the fact that you are part of this community. You are part of God's community. And in the Old Testament, the single most referenced event in the entirety of the Old Testament is the Exodus. And the reason the Exodus is so important is it sets the paradigm. It, it is the, the pinnacle example of what it is to have a God who saves. And so for future generations, when they would talk about the Exodus, it didn't matter if they lived hundreds of years later, they would say, when God delivered us from Egypt. And there was a continual ongoing identification with the generation that lived in slavery and was delivered from slavery. And that's part of what the Passover did, okay? So the Passover is this amazing celebration of a God who saves and delivers from slavery. All right. So that's, that's the basic gist of the Passover and what you're supposed to do. So you have this annual holiday where you take lamb and you roast it and you have bitter herbs and you have unleavened bread. And this unleavened bread, this seven-day period of eating unleavened bread became known as the, the feast or the festival of unleavened bread. It's a week-long, do-no-work holiday. And by the time you get to, say, New Testament times, uh, the, the festival of unleavened bread and the Passover was just kind of one big, long, week-long holiday uh, that the nation would celebrate, okay? So what, what does the Passover mean? As time goes on, you know, imagine you're, you're a, a, a little Israelite child and your parents, you know, start doing this weird meal thing with lamb. And, and lamb was, that's a, that's a special thing. Uh, because, because we read like in Genesis, Abraham has all these flocks and these herds. And we, it, it's easy to start thinking, oh, lamb was a regular part of the diet. No way. Lamb, eating lamb was a big deal because when you eat lamb, you're, you're taking your livelihood and you're slaughtering it and eating it because what they actually lived on, these people, these uh, pastoralists who tended flocks, what they lived on was essentially the milk products and the wool products that you would get from the sheep. The sheep were their income. And so to take a lamb and to kill it and to eat it, you're cutting down on your ability to have income. So it's not a normal thing to eat lamb. So you have this annual holiday where you get together and your parents are saying, all right, you know, have your sandals on, tuck your cloak in so you can hit the road. Where are we going? We're not going anywhere. Just, just do it, all right? You know, and, and you're like, eat this thing fast. But I only get to eat lamb once a year. Why do I have to hurry? It's so tasty. Hurry up. We got to go, you know. And it's like, you're doing this weird festival. Here, eat some herbs. They're bitter. They suck. And you're like, oh, come on. Why am I doing this, you know? And, and you're like, why, why, why do we do this? And, and over time, by, by the time uh, of the New Testament, the, 
the Jews had added a couple traditions. They would eat this uh, stuff called cheroshet, which is like a paste, you know? It's, 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 it's like this brownish, purplish, kind of weird paste. I don't know how to explain it. But uh, it was supposed to represent the mortar that, that would be used in making bricks. And, the, uh, and that was the job of the Hebrew slaves, was to make bricks when they were in slavery. And uh, they would also... Uh, take wine and they would uh, essentially take one glass of wine and then water it down into four parts so you could have four glasses of wine but it would have no effect and be awful because you watered it down so you just you I mean if you think about it you have this you have this really weird tradition of the Passover and imagine being a kid and you're like I finally get to eat lamb but I don't get to enjoy it I have to have it with bitter herbs and this nasty hero stuff and, and, you know, I don't even get to enjoy the wine because they watered it down so much. You know, and it's like, why are we doing this? And the thing is, it was a reminder not only of, of deliverance from Egypt, okay, of God's salvation, but it was also their new year. I mean, you know, we read about uh, how this is to be for you the beginning of the year, okay? So, so... If you're trying to kind of get into their mindset with this weird Passover meal, you're celebrating New Year's. You're celebrating uh, 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 salvation, basically, which we do at Easter. You're celebrating the fact that God broke into history in this miraculous, crazy way, which we celebrate at Christmas. But it's not just that. When the people left Egypt, they were finally able to move out and become their own nation. And what we're going to look at next week is that moment where they're actually formed into a nation and given a law. And, you know, for us as Christians, we kind of have this, like, bad impression of the law oh the law is where God screwed everything up but fortunately he gave us Jesus which is a horrible view of the law the law was their identity it's it's kind of like in, in the United States where we we celebrate at uh, every fourth of July the fact that we had people in our history who drew up a constitution and some laws and said we are our own nation and that's what they're celebrating in the Passover because it was the, the act of Exodus that allowed them to leave. And later on in Exodus, God gives them a law. It's forming their national identity. So when they celebrate the Passover, not only are they doing release from slavery, not only are they doing the equivalent of our Christmas and Easter and our New Year's, but they're also doing the equivalent of our 4th of July. And all of this stuff, is wrapped up into the Passover celebration that they are supposed to celebrate year after year after year after year. And we see it uh, all through the Old Testament. Okay. So, is it, I'm a college professor, so I'm allowed to ask. Does, it, is that, does that make sense? Do y'all, you get a feel for the Passover? Yeah? yeah? Oh, okay. All right. Um, okay. So I'm going to wear a hat next week so I can see you. All right, so let's go to the book of Mark, all right? And let's, let's read how Jesus celebrates Passover, because it's pretty cool. 
Mark 14. Mark 14. Okay. Uh, Mark 14. I'm going to start in uh, verse 12. Mark 14, 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, I know what that is, right? You got to no yeast. You got to be ready to hit the road. Woohoo! Seven-day party. Uh, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, right? Seven days, unleavened bread, Passover. Uh, Jesus' disciples asked him, Hey, Jesus, do you think we should do the Passover thing this year? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what they asked. They asked, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Do you see that? This, this Passover thing is not an optional. It's, it's not like at my house, you know, when, when Thanksgiving rolls around. Hey, you know, should we do the turkey? Oh, it's kind of a pain. Let's, let's just go to Boston Market and get some ham and call it good. All right, I mean, you know. You, you don't, it, it's not like that. It's, hey, where do you want us to go and make preparations for the Passover? Because you, you do this. So Jesus sent two of his disciples, telling them, all right, go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. This is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Because I'm like, if I were a disciple, I'd just be like, come on, man. Can it ever be easy? <laughs> Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my students or disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. All right. You know, so they go and, uh, and they, take, they, they take care of it. Uh, it says in verse 16, the disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepare the Passover. All right. So they're going to have... Uh, their, their Passover meal. Now, I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 22. So while they're eating, <clears throat> all right, they're doing their Passover meal, Jesus took bread. This is to be the unleavened bread, just like in, uh, in, in the celebration. He took it, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Now, look, this is the part, because Jesus is the, the rabbi, the teacher, okay, and he's got his students, his pupils, his disciples, all right, so they're, at, they're acting out this Passover thing. So this is the part where the students are supposed to take the role of the children and say, hey, what does this Passover thing mean? And at that point, Jesus, as the rabbi, the leader of the group, is supposed to look at them and say, ah, oh, yes, this is the Passover celebration to the Lord, to Yahweh, who delivered us from slavery in Egypt. And what does Jesus say? Oh, yeah, this is my body broken for you. <laughs> that's, <clears throat> okay, in case you didn't catch it, that's what the Bible calls blasphemy. Unless Jesus was actually God. Okay, so then he takes the cup, you know, this watered down wine stuff. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, uh, they went out onto the Mount of Olives. Okay, look, this is scandal. This is absolutely scandalous, what Jesus did. Because he took... That moment where you're supposed to say, this is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, to God, 
to our God, Yahweh, who delivered us from slavery in Egypt. And he says, no, 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 this is about me. The disciples are in this moment confronted with a choice. Either we believe that he is God and we will follow him and we will eat and drink. Or if they're going to follow Torah, they're supposed to put Jesus to death because he has committed the ultimate blasphemy in declaring himself God. That's what the disciples are faced with in this moment. This is a perfect example of why the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead. It's not simply some power struggle where these guys can't handle Jesus' popularity. The religious leaders know their Torah, and they know that according to Torah, you are supposed to purge the evil of a blasphemer from your midst. The Pharisees believe with everything in them they are doing the will of God as revealed in the word of God. And unless Jesus is God, then the Pharisees are right. And it is easy for me to relate to the bewilderment of the disciples and the frustration of the Pharisees. So when we do communion, and the, we're going to do communion, so the, uh, the band is going to arrive. When we're, and, uh, uh, and they're going to uh, do communion. They'll take care of the logistics. But the point is, when, when we have communion, we are participating in this history that goes all the way back more than 3,000 years to the Exodus. We are taking the bread and taking the wine and we're declaring, yes, this is Jesus' body broken for us. Yes, this is his blood that was poured out for us, which we've heard, especially if you've been going to church for any length of time, you've heard over and over and over again. But you are also taking part in the meaning of the Passover celebration which is you have been invited into a new community. You have been invited into a community of believers who become God's people, and you are entering into that and declaring that this is the Lord's Passover, which for Christians was done through Christ, so that we might enter into a new community, have a new identity, and be God's people in the world. That's what communion's about, and that's what we're going to do. So we have two stations here on either side of, um, at each aisle. Please feel free to um, use this time to reflect, come down in your own timing um, to participate in communion with us. We've got um, the gluten-free bread bowl and